primarily one verse this morning, then we'll flip over to the book of Numbers. And I want to share just a few things with you there. But in John chapter 3 and verse number 14, listen what Jesus says to the man Nicodemus. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man uh, be lifted up. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says to Nicodemus that the Son of Man must be lifted up or raised up, just as Moses lifted up? or raised up the serpent um, in the wilderness. Well, to find that out, we've got to flip over to the book of Numbers. So take your Bibles. You can keep your places there in John chapter 3. And I want us to look at Numbers 21, four or five verses there very quickly this morning um, that explain to us exactly what the Lord Jesus was speaking of. Now, you may be asking yourself, uh, or or want to ask me, Brother Israel, you mean to tell me that the story of Jesus is all the way over in the book of Numbers? Well, I'll tell you one better than that. The story of Jesus is in all 66 books of the whole Bible. It's not just in the book of Numbers or in the book of John or in the book of Matthew or in the book of Mark. It's in all the books, in all 66 books from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. If you read the Word of God and you don't see Jesus, you need to read it again because you've missed the whole point. You've missed the main character. And if you look, um, asking the Lord to give you understanding, I will promise you that you are going to see Jesus in every book. And we see him right here in Numbers chapter number 21 um, when Moses lifted up the serpent. This is a story, one of many stories that foreshadow the coming Christ that speaks to us about who Jesus is and what he has done. You see, folks, the Old Testament says that there was somebody coming and that somebody is Jesus. The New Testament says that that somebody has came in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John throughout the Gospels, and that somebody is Jesus. The Bible says in the epistles and in Revelation that that somebody, the Lord Jesus Christ, is coming back again. So from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, we have story after story after story that points us unto the Lord Jesus. Now in Numbers 21, it points us to what Christ did at the cross and makes it very plain for us here this morning. I've got two main points that I want to share with you concerning uh, Moses lifting up or raising up the serpent in the wilderness, which is a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus. Let's read verses 5 through verse number 9, then we'll look at this together. And the people spake against Moses, uh, against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. And much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, and he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your manifest presence in this place. Lord, I realize this morning, in and of myself and my own ability, I can do absolutely nothing. But I also trust in what your word says when it tells me through you all things are possible. So Lord, I'm asking 
asking you right now, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me up and pour me out into the lives of these people. I can't preach the message that needs to be preached so that people might come to repentance. Lord, I can preach the message, but only you can impart the truth of the Word of God. So I'm asking you this morning that you speak to hearts and change lives and do what only you are capable of doing today. Lord, I'm praying that you save souls, break addictions, heal families, do what's necessary in the lives of these people. You know what we need better than we know what we need. And Lord, I'm asking you today that there be no hindrance whatsoever in this place, but you would be able to freely work among these people by your power to fulfill your purpose in their lives. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray and for your sake. We thank you, we praise you, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Numbers 21, first of all, I want you to see the notion of the people that uh, the Bible speaks of here. Now, when I'm speaking, uh, when I say notion, I'm talking about their mindset, what they're thinking, what's on their mind, and what's in their heart. How many of you know it's real easy to tell what's on a person's mind and what's in a person's heart? Uh, you can tell by their attitude and their actions, what they think, and praise God, what they do. I've got a dear friend of mine that I, I love uh, uh, very much, and he's just a great guy. Been friends with him now for over 20 years, but um, I used to work with him, and, and he's one of the biggest Alabama fans that you've ever been around in your life. If there's anybody who's ever loved Alabama football, he did. I mean, so much so that he could go three deep on every roster. He knew where the uh, people came from, uh, what their 40 time was, what number they wore. I mean, he knew everything there was to know about every player that Alabama had playing. And, and you could tell what was on his mind, what was on his heart. You could tell his notion every time you got around him, because every time you got around him, that's what came out of his mouth. He'd talk to you about Alabama football. And folks, I think that's true for all of us. You can tell what's on a person's mind, and you can tell what's on a person's heart by their attitude, how they think, and by their actions, what they do. And that's the same, the same is true with these people here. We see what they did. We see how they were thinking so we can tell what's in their mind and what's in their heart. So let's look at the notion of the people. What's it look like according to verse number five? There's three things that I want you to see. First of all, I want you to know that they doubted the promise of God. They spake against God and they spake against Moses and they said, you brought us out of Egypt to bring us to the middle of the wilderness to die. Now what was God's promise to the children of Israel? The promise of God was this, that he was going to deliver them from bondage in Egypt under the blood and bring them unto the promised land. Now how many of you know when God says something you can count on? How many of you believe this morning what God says in His Word, you can believe to be true, you can build your life upon that? So God promised these people. He said, listen, I'm going to bring you from Egypt to the promised land. But right in the middle of the journey, they began to doubt what God was saying. They said, you've brought us out here to die in the middle of the wilderness. And I want you to know something, folks. That's no small thing. The sin of unbelief is the mother and the father of most sins. It's a very serious sin. As a matter of fact, John chapter 3 and verse number 36, you don't have to flip over there for, to uh, uh, from, from the book of Numbers, just stay where you're at. But I want to read to you what John 3.36 says about the sin of unbelief. It's a very serious thing. John 3.36 tells us, He that believeth on the Son, he that believeth on Jesus, he who trusts in Christ for the forgiveness of sin hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, 
but the wrath of God abides on him. Let me tell you the one thing that's going to send people to hell, the sin of unbelief. Not trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, um, the sin of unbelief is a very serious thing. That's the sin these people had. That was what was on their mind and in their heart. They doubted God's promise. But I want you to see something else. Not only did they doubt God's promise, but they disdained God's provision. Look what they said. They said, we loathe this light bread. We hate this bread. We don't want this bread. We want something else. Now let me say something to you folks. You've got to understand what bread they're talking about. They're talking about manna that rained down from heaven. God actually, in the wilderness, supernaturally rained down bread out of the sky, and the Bible calls it manna. Now, how many of you understand this morning that manna was also a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus? Matter of fact, in the book of John, Jesus calls himself the true bread that came down from heaven. And everything about the manna in the Old Testament speaks of Christ. Let me share something with you that I read this week concerning the manna that fell from heaven that God provided for these people. First of all, it was miraculous. And how many of you know Jesus was miraculous. Amen. He healed blinded eyes and he caused uh, lame tongues to speak and he, listen to me now, uh, he caused deaf ears to hear. Then it says uh, it, the, 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 the manna was round and that spoke of the eternality of Christ. He had no beginning or no ending. He, he was certainly the son of man, but he was also the son of God and God the son. He is, he was, he always will be eternal. It was the, it was also white and that speaks of the purity of Christ. The manna that rained down from heaven, um, they, it fell to the ground, which speaks of um, his humiliation that he suffered there at the cross and upon this earth. Then they had to pick it up, and that speaks of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. By the power of God on that first Easter morning, the true bread from heaven was raised up uh, from the earth. And so that too speaks of Christ. It had to be eaten. And how many of you know, uh, if, you're, if bread's going to do you any good, it's got to be on the inside of you. And that's the same is true for the Lord Jesus Christ. If he's going to do any good for you, and he can do you some good, trust me, because I've tried, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He's done good for me and done for me what I couldn't do for myself. He's given me peace and joy and purpose. He's given me what I longed for, uh, and I'm so very thankful for what he's done in my life. But for that, him to be good for you, for him to do what's necessary in your life, you've got to have him in you. You've got to trust in him for the forgiveness of sin and being dwelled by the precious Holy Spirit. That all happens when a man, woman, boy, or girl trust in Christ for salvation. So the manna spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ, and these people loved it. They hated it. They didn't want it. And folks, the same is true for a lot of people today. They don't want what God has provided. They don't want the Savior that He provided for them um, through the person of the Lord Jesus. Not only did they doubt God's promise and disdain God's provision, but they also despised God's prophet. I want to tell you something. If you look to the Word of God, you're going to find that when people fall out with God, it ain't long before they fall out with God's man. They fall out with God's prophet. And that's what happened here in this verse of Scripture in the book of Numbers. The Bible says they began to murmur against God, and not long after they began to murmur against God, they began to murmur against Moses. <laughs> now why is that? Because Moses was doing nothing more or nothing less 
than preaching the truth that God gave him. He was leading as God had told him to lead. He was speaking truth that God had told him to speak. And I want to tell you something. As God has now allowed me to preach the gospel for 17 years, I've come to find out that when you preach the whole counsel of the word of God, Folks, I can promise you this. It's either going to do one of two things in people's lives. Either the preaching of the Word of God is going to cause them to draw near unto the Lord or it's going to push them further away. And all of that is dependent upon how we receive the truth of God's Word. I want to tell you something, folks. There's a lot of things that God leads me to preach that I don't want to preach. A lot of hard things. I'm going to tell you something. Very seldom for me do I pick up God's word and begin reading it that I'm not convicted on some things in my life that need to change. Very seldom. So I've got to get my heart right before I ever come out and preach God's word to you. How many of you know we're all in the same boat? We all need God's grace. We all need God's mercy. And we've all got some growing room. Each and every one of us. I've come to find out there's a problem in every pulpit. And how many of you know there's a problem in every pew? People are just people. And people need Jesus. So folks, I want you to know something. Listen to me. When I'm sharing the truth of the Word of God, I'm doing that because first of all, I love Him and I want to please Him. Now I love you, but I love you too much not to tell you the truth. If we're going to love God and we're going to love people, we've got to speak God's truth in love. But a lot of times, just like here in the book of Numbers, when a people fall out with God, they fall out with God's prophet. They doubted God's promise. They disdained God's provision. And folks, it wasn't long before they wanted nothing to do with Moses because they wanted nothing to do with God. So that's the notion of the people. That's what's in their mind and that's what's in their heart. But not only do I want you to see the notion of the people, but I want you to see the need of the people. Watch what happens. Verse number six. God does what only God can do. The Bible says the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and much people of Israel died. Now I want you to think about that just a minute. These people had a rebellious spirit. They doubted God's promise. They disdained God's provision. They despised God's prophet. And after God seeing this, the Bible says that God sent the fiery serpents. I'm talking about snakes everywhere you walk, snakes where you slept, snakes where you ate. When you sat down in your recliner at home, you had to watch out so you wouldn't sit on a snake. I mean, there were snakes among the people. The people were getting bitten and the people were dying. Now, a lot of people have a problem here with the Bible saying that God sent the snakes. They say things, I've heard this time upon time upon time. Brother Israel, God's too good to judge sin. If God loves us, why would he judge sin? Let me say this, folks. What you need to be saying and what you need to understand, God is too good not to judge sin. God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. And if you choose to disobey God and live in your sin, rejecting the forgiveness that comes through Christ, then folks, you have no hope but the wrath of God, a devil's hell. And that's not because God does it. It's because we choose not to receive the free gift that God has given in the person of his son. So I want you to think about this. Let's just say that you had a disease 
And you went to the doctor and he started checking you out. And the doctor looked at you with a very serious face. And you said, Doc, what's the matter? And he said, well, what you've got, I can't cure. There's nothing medical science can do for you. I don't have the medicine you need. And you say back to the doctor, well, Doc, there's got to be something. I mean, I've got a wife. I've got kids. I've got a family. Can you not do something to help my condition? He said, well, there's one thing I can do, but none of us can afford it. It costs a king's ransom for you to be able to buy the vial of medicine that you need. And furthermore, I don't even know where I could find it. And you say, Doc, you've got to do something. If you don't do something, I'm going to die. And so the doctor leaves and he stays gone for three or four months and he walks back into the hospital room where you are. And when he walks back in, he's lost 30 or 40 pounds. He's just skin and bones and the eyes are, his eyes are sunk back in his head and his clothes are tattered and he's bleeding. And he walks in with a vial of medicine and shows it to you. And you say, Doc, where have you been? He said, well, I went to every foundation I could go to. And I raised all the money I could raise. And I finally raised enough money for this vial of medicine. And you say, well, Doc, that's great. He said, but why, you say, but why, is he, why are you bleeding? He said, well, on the way over here, I wrecked in my car. And when I wrecked in my car, my young son was with me. And he died in the car crash. And I had to leave him there, but I finally got back to you with this vial of medicine that will bring the cure you need for the sickness you have. So let's just say at that moment, you took that vial of medicine. You snubbed your nose at it. You didn't trust in it. And you took that cure that he had provided and you smashed it on the floor. Now, is it that doctor's fault that you die? As a father myself, that makes sense to me. I know how much my son's life matters to me. If I had gave my son so that all of us might live, I can't tell you how it would break my heart if you chose to reject what I've done through the death of my son. Are you hearing me? So if anybody goes to hell, if if anybody is judged and remains under the wrath of God because of your sin, it's not God's fault. God has provided the remedy. God has provided the cure for the sickness that we all have. See, the truth is we've all been bitten. Each and every one of us. Anytime you see a serpent in the Word of God, it is a symbol of sin. You can hardly say um, serpent without hearing the hiss of sin. And I want you to know from Genesis all the way to Revelation, you're going to see the serpent as a symbol of the sinfulness of mankind. So what's the Bible telling us here in this story? It's telling us that all of us, listen, all of us whom Jesus died for, we stood in need of a Savior because all of us are sinners. All of us have been bitten. We came here sinners, born into sin with a sinful nature. That started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. If you remember, the serpent beguiled Eve, the Bible says. 
She chose to disobey God and uh, partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Adam took the fruit from his wife and he sinned against God. And then sin became a cancer that was passed down generation to generation to generation all the way down to you and me. So that when we came here, we came here born into sin, standing in need of a Savior. Folks, I got to tell you, I had a problem with that for a long time. I mean, I had a big problem with it. How could it be that that little baby, that sweet little baby, was born into sin? I'll tell you how. All of that became real to me when I became a father. And I had children of my own. And I began to see that as my kids grew older, I'm telling you, when I first had them or my wife had them and I held them in my arms for the first time, I thought they were little angels. Let me tell you what happened. As their legs grew longer, their angel wings got shorter. And before long, I began to see that I didn't have to teach them how to lie. Why? Because they came here knowing how to lie. I didn't have to teach them to be selfish. They came here knowing how to be selfish. I didn't have to teach them to say things they weren't supposed to say. They came here knowing how to do all that. Why? Because they were born by the seed of sin passed down from Adam. Just like all of us have been. All of us have been bitten. And as that sinful nature that we were born with, as we grow older, it begins to show up in the symptoms in our lives. The Bible says that thou shalt not lie, but how many of you in here has never told a lie? Nobody. The Bible says that, um, we, uh, that thou shalt not murder. You say, brother, I've never murdered anybody. Well, let me tell you how high God's standard is. The Bible says that if you hold hatred in your heart towards someone else, it's just like murder. So if we're honest, we're a bunch of lying, murdering thieves. We're sinners standing in need of God's grace. We're sick. Now, watch what Moses does. The Lord tells him, he says, I want you to take a brass serpent, a serpent made of brass, verse number 8, and put it on a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. God who is holy and righteous and just. We who are sinful. We came here with a sinful nature and we've chose to disobey God throughout our lives. We because of our sin are separated from a holy God. So what we need is a remedy. What we need is a cure for our problem. Something that would take care of our sin that separates us from God. So what did God do? Well, the Bible says that He sent His Son to take the punishment for your sin and for my sin. And then it says all who trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin can be born again into God's family. And instead of tasting eternal death in a devil's hell, you can have eternal life. Eternal life in heaven and abundant life on earth. That's the promise of those who trust in Jesus. It's available to all who receive it. How do I know that? We'll look back at the example. The Bible says, everyone who looks to the serpent 
can be saved. They can live. How many of you know that is the perfect picture of Jesus? Because God told Moses, he said, you make a serpent. The serpent is what gave him so much trouble. How does that picture Jesus? Take your Bibles and turn with me. I want to read to you one verse. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. In verse number 21. The scripture says, For he, meaning God the Father, hath made him, meaning God the Son, to be sin for us. Do you realize that the sins of the whole world, my sin, your sin, all of our sin was placed upon Jesus at the cross. And God judged His own Son so that we might go free. God condemned His Son to die so that we might have life. He made Him to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus took our sin so that we could have His righteousness. Righteousness imputed by faith that makes us right with the Heavenly Father. That's God's message to the world. That's God's message on Easter. That's the gospel. It's the cure for the sin-sick soul. Now folks, you may be here this morning and You didn't know what you was getting into. Somebody asked you to come and that's okay. Glad you're here. And I can promise you this, the sovereign God of the universe knew that you were going to be here this morning. It's no accident that you're here. God has you here. God has me here. God has us all here for a reason. And if today what you've heard from the Word of God has spoke to your heart, today... You need to do business with this God who loves you. The God who sent His Son so that you might be set free. The Bible says, Isaiah 53 and verse 5, that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. That He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him and with His stripes. We are healed. And then if you go on down to verse 10, it says this, that it pleased the Lord God of heaven to bruise His own Son. Can you wrap your mind around that? I love my children. So thankful that God has blessed me with the privilege and opportunity to be their father. And I want you, I want you to know something. I love all of you in the Lord this morning. But I'll tell you this, I don't love anybody in this room enough to cause my son or my daughters to take the punishment for what you've done wrong, hang on a cross and die. But that's how much God loves you. He put his son on a cross and the Bible says it pleased the Lord to bruise his son so that you might be saved. Now listen. Jesus was raised to die on a cross. He hung before 
God and man between heaven and earth. And they put him in a tomb. But how many know he didn't stay there? As I've already read to you in the book of Matthew, the angel said, he's not here. He is risen. He's no longer in the tomb. He's no longer in the grave. He overcome death, hell, and the grave. And now, all who trust in him can overcome death, hell, and the grave as well. If you need the Lord today, this is your invitation time. Brother, what you got for us? Amen. Everybody stand together, please. You do what God is leading you to do. Hey, if you know you need to be saved this morning, you know you've never been born again, I want you to come and say, Brother Israel, I need to be saved. Listen, I can't save you. Walking this aisle don't save you. Going to a church don't save you. But I can tell you this, the same Jesus who saved me can and will save you by His power. And I want to show you what that looks like, how you receive Christ as your personal Savior in the Word of God. If you need to do that this morning, you come. Maybe you're here and you are a child of God and you just want to come and pray for those who, who in your family need uh, a, a personal relationship with the Lord. Maybe you've got problems in your life. Guess what? Listen to me. God is able. Like I said before, if He can come back from the grave, what can't He do? He's alive this morning. And by His power, all things are possible. Maybe you just want to come thank Him. This altar is a great place to do business with the Lord. And if you need to do some business this morning, this is your invitation. Don't wait. You come. Brother, sing for us. John three fourteen. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. Now, everybody loves John 3.16, but I tell you, probably my favorite verse in this scripture is John 3.17. Jesus did not come to condemn you. God is not wanting to condemn you. He sent His Son to save you. Jesus is the only one who could condemn us because he's perfect. But he wouldn't condemn us because he loves us. And he came to save us. But that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Listen. Hear the message today. God loves you. And He's made a way that you can be set free of your sin. He's made a way that you can have eternal life. What a blessing it is. I'm going to tell you something. If there were no heaven and there were no hell, I'd still trust Jesus. Now there is a heaven and there is a hell. But I don't, I don't trust Jesus just to get me to heaven. I trust Jesus so that I might live a life uh, that's pleasing unto him and profitable for me. He don't just save us to take us to heaven. He saves us to make a difference in our life right here. I'm so thankful for that. Trust him today. If you hadn't made the decision to trust him, trust him today. Today is the day of salvation. I've got just one announcement that I do want to make to you this morning before we go. Um, we are blessed here in this church.
to have people from all different age groups. You saw all these young'uns that we had here this morning. We're so very thankful for them. But let me tell you something else. We've got three people um, among our membership in this church that's over 90 years old. One of them turned 90 today. Isn't that right, Brother Watson? Thursday. Thursday was his, was his birthday. So he had just turned 90 years old Thursday. And what I want to do today, um, before we dismiss, we're going to sing happy birthday to you, brother. Is that okay? <laughs> brother, would you do that for us, please? <laughs>